Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. The church looks beautiful. All fancy. Wanted to give you a little bit of an update on how things are going at UC Irvine. We, last spring we had a Bible study of about six students. We were just getting started. And we came into this fall with two of those students returning to UC Irvine. So we had two students. And the good news is that we were a recognized student group. So we had gone through the process at the end of last year to become a recognized student group. So we became official. And then this fall, we were able to advertise on campus. We were able to go to the Anteater Activity Fair, have a table on campus where people could stop. And, and what we did at the table, we had this giant Connect Four game, about this high. And we would give, if students could beat me or any of my students in Connect Four, we would give them a $3 gift card. And so for hours, we played Connect Four, just talking to students. And it was, it was a great time. So we, we gave away 350 invitations to students over the first two weeks. And we invited them to this gathering of food at Chick-fil-A. So they gave us their patio right beside campus. And so we invited students. And 30 of those students showed up, which was pretty good. 30 out of 350, that's, that's a pretty good number. And out of those 30, about 15 or so got involved with RUF. So we've got about 20 students now who are coming. We have a Monday night uh, dinner and Bible study that we host at our house. And so this semester has really been connecting the students. And so I'm beginning to meet with some of these students for coffee, trying to connect them to me, and also trying to connect them to one another. And then next quarter, we'll begin to think about what does it look like to be a new ministry on campus that wants to impact the campus for Jesus. I'll tell you one story about uh, one of the students who who is now in RUF. Her name is Parmas. And she grew up in Iran. Uh, she, in middle school, her family moved to Dubai. And then, uh, two years ago, she left with her family. They moved to Southern California, but she moved to go to school in South Dakota, right, the opposite of Dubai. And so she was there for two years. And, uh, and it was fine, uh, but this year she transferred in to UC Irvine. And over the two years that she was in South Dakota, uh, her parents um, got connected to a church through a friend from Iran. And so they have become Christians. And so now Parmas is very interested in Christianity. And so she found us um, at one of these booths. And so she has started to come to RUF. And so we just had coffee. And she is interested in RUF, but she doesn't know anything. And so this past week, we talked about the Trinity. And she was curious about Jesus. And as we talked about Jesus and about who he is as God, that was really surprising because she just assumed that Jesus was a man and a prophet like Muhammad was. And so the fact that he is Jesus, who is God and who died for us, she said, oh, that's why Christians make such a big deal then about Jesus. So she's catching on. She's starting to understand who Jesus is. So please continue to pray for us. Pray for Parmas. We continue to meet up. Every day I send her, uh, I write out a devotion and I send it to her in the morning so that she can read God's word and I give her some questions to help her understand what she's reading. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for your support of this ministry. It's, it's great to partner with you and to be your pastor at UC Irvine. Um, it's, it's really special. So thank you so much. 
I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll look at Acts chapter 8. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could be together. Thank you that we get to hear from you, to hear your word, and to understand what truth is um, through your word and how to live. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, heading into my senior year, uh, I was on the high school uh, football team, and we were pretty decent, and we were going to play a team out of Washington, D.C. called DeMatha High School. And we were, we were focused on DeMatha High School. That, that summer, as we were gearing up for football to start up, we would be in the, the weight room together, and we would rep out D-E-M-A-T-H-A, beat DeMatha. On this hill beside our high school, we had spray-painted the word DeMatha on the hill. And we would run these hills and we would dig our heels and our feet into the word, the name DeMatha, as we pounded on them up the hill. August came and we would practice and we would put our hands together after each practice. And we, we would say, one, two, three, beat DeMatha. We were focused on DeMatha High School. Finally, the first game came. It was under the lights. It was the largest high school stadium in Maryland. And as the ball was kicked off to start the game, all of us on our team knew without a doubt that we were going to lose. We, we had lost by 40 points the year before to DeMatha. And they were ranked number five, not just in the state of Maryland. They were ranked number five in the nation by USA Today. And it was our chance for glory. And as we walked off the field with our heads hung, we knew that our opportunity for glory we had missed. And glory, the pursuit of it, it's, it's so elusive. It's so hard to get glory. And the pursuit of glory, it starts early on. We are hardwired for significance in this life. In elementary school, we begin our pursuit of glory. We say, Daddy, am I the fastest? Or Mommy, am I the prettiest? It continues in middle school, but we're even a little more aware of our glory position in middle school. You try out for the band, and you make the band, which is wonderful, but then they seed you. You're maybe first chair, or third chair, or last chair. You know where you stand in position to other people. You're aware of your position when you, you grab your food in the cafeteria, you get your food, you turn to go to everyone else, and sometimes there are people who are waiting for you, and other times nobody is wanting you to sit with them. You remember in gym class they would pick teams, uh, and maybe you were picked first, but maybe you were picked seventh out of a team of ten, and you know where you stand. Perhaps you tried out for a play, and it's devastating when you don't make the play. But if you do, it's, it's glorious. But maybe you've made the play, but you don't have a significant part. Maybe you make the play, and you do have a significant part, but it's not one of the lead parts. And this pursuit of glory, it's elusive. And the thing is, the pursuit of glory, to make a name for ourselves, it never ends. Maybe we're not asking daddy if we're the fastest or mommy if we're the prettiest, but we're constantly checking our bottom line in business to see how we're doing. We are anxious over job performance reviews. What do people think of me? Will I get a promotion? Or why is this person over here getting a promotion over me? 
this year. We wake up wondering in the morning how many people liked our Facebook post. And perhaps why didn't they like it as much as last time when you posted? We still compare ourselves to everybody and anybody, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's the person that we work with, whether it's the person um, who we stand in line at Starbucks or somebody at the pool. We're always comparing ourselves and we long for someone to tell us that they appreciate us that we're doing a good job, that you're a good mom, that you're a good dad, that you're a good son or you're a good daughter, or we're so glad that you work for us here with our company. But this desire for, for significance, for glory, to make a name for ourselves, which seems normal to us, can also be dangerous. Uh, there's a psychiatrist named Dr. Keith Ablo, and he works for the Fox News medical team. Now, I'm not saying that I watch Fox News. I'm not saying that I watch CNN news. This is just a good quote. He quotes a study by French psychologist Jean Twang, who has found that narcissism in college students is up 30% over the last 30 years. He continues in this article, I have been warning about this trend as the single greatest threat to our culture for years. Because a narcissistic people lost in the pursuit of something as vanishing as notoriety or making a name for yourself is a people who cannot summon real character, nor empathize with one another, nor pursue momentous deeds, nor achieve genuine greatness. He continues, he says that because as a culture we are pursuing our own individual glory that keeps us from having real character and that keeps us from doing anything of real significance. In other words, the more we pursue our own greatness, the less we actually achieve true greatness. And here's the thing. The pursuit of glory, it doesn't end when you become a Christian. Even though we are convinced that God is great, even though we are convinced that God is good, we still get all twisted up in this never-ending pursuit of greatness. Looking to make a name for ourselves. And this is true of John the Baptist, when he said, he must become greater and I must become less. Now, John the Baptist had become a celebrity. He had his own style. He wore camel's hair. He had his own fad diet. He ate locusts and honey. He lived exotically in the wilderness. And many people came to listen and to see John the Baptist. They were enamored by his teaching. And some said, he must be a prophet. Others said, he must be Elijah, come back. And still some said, he's the Messiah. Even though John the Baptist was there when he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus at his baptism, even though John the Baptist was there when he heard the voice of God saying, this is my son whom I am well pleased with, even after all of this, John the Baptist still had to say, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. He saw the glory of Jesus firsthand, and he still wrestled with pursuing his own glory. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 8. Simon the Great is struggling with pursuing his own glory. He wanted to make a name for himself, and he wanted to do so at any cost. We'll look at three things this morning from this passage. We're going to see that the name of God is becoming great. Secondly, we'll see that Simon is trying to make his name great. And then finally, we'll see that only God can make a name for us that is truly great. We'll start with the name of God is becoming great here in Acts chapter 8. 
The context here is the gospel. The good news is beginning to advance. And it's doing what seemed impossible. It's doing the improbable. The Samaritans of all people receive the word of God. Verse 12 tells us that Philip preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And the Samaritans actually believed it. They believed and they were baptized. And this is pretty amazing when we consider who, we, who we're talking about. The Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Think of the person in your family who you could not imagine coming to faith in Christ and Jesus. Think of who that person is. You couldn't imagine them trusting in God. Before these new Jewish converts to Christianity, for them it was the Samaritans. They could not believe or, or conceive of a time when the Samaritans would actually trust in the God of the Bible. There had been a thousand years of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. In the 5th century, after the Babylonian captivity and after the Jews are coming back to Jerusalem, the Samaritans offer to help build the temple. And the Jews say, absolutely not. In response, the next century, the Samaritans build another, a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans did not accept the word of God. They only held to the first five books of the Bible of Moses. And these Jews, they hated these false believers of God and their false religion. In fact, so much so that in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus is rejected by the Samaritans, John the Gospel writer, the disciple, comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, is it okay if I ask permission from heaven above to send down fire and burn up these nasty Samaritans? And yet, here we see the Samaritans receive the word of God. They believe. Now let me pause here. There are people in your life who you cannot imagine coming to faith in Christ. You've got family members, maybe a sibling, maybe your parents, maybe friends that you've had since high school, maybe someone in your family, maybe a next door neighbor, somebody that you work for. The word of God is powerful. And it has its way in people's lives. Do not give up on those people in your life who you think could never come to faith in Christ. Do not give up. Tell them about Jesus. The name of God is advancing. The name of God is becoming great, even here to the Samaritans. And this is exactly what God had promised. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, He says, Go from your country from your kindred, your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. So God says to Abram, Abram, your job is to make my name great. Your calling is to live for my glory, for my significance. And then God says, it will be me who will make your name great. I will bring you glory. But here is the warning, though, to Abram. Do not go out and try to make your own name great. In other words, don't live for yourself. Now what's interesting is the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is when the people of the earth, they come together and they say, Come, let us build a tower that reaches all the way up into the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Right before God has this conversation 
with Abram about how to live and who to live for is right on the heels of a people who wanted to make a name for themselves, who wanted to seek their own glory and their own significance. Here in Acts chapter 8, as the name of God is spreading, just like God told Abraham it would, as the name of God is becoming great to the Samaritans, Luke includes a cautionary tale of someone who is called Simon the Great. Simon is trying to make a great name for himself. In Acts chapter 8, we come to this unique situation where the Samaritans, they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they're baptized, but they do not receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the typical way that the Holy Spirit would come to believers after the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 tells us the typical pattern is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because in the Trinity you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. And it's the Father who plans salvation. It's the Son who accomplishes salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit who applies the benefits of salvation to the believer. But here the Samaritans did not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed and were baptized. So the question is, why? What's going on? Why did they not receive the Holy Spirit? Well, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it serves as a table of contents for the rest of the book of Acts, which you've just recently been studying. In Acts 1.8 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel is going to advance in four stages. First, stage one, Jerusalem. Secondly, stage two, Judea. Stage three is Samaria. So here in Acts chapter eight, it's the beginning of a new chapter of redemptive history. The gospel is going out. It's a landmark event for the church. And people are seeing this, including Simon the Great. Simon the Great sees this. And so the cornerstone apostles, Peter and John, they are coming to witness and to inaugurate this new chapter of God's name advancing. And it's here that Simon the Great sees an opportunity to make a name for himself. He sees Peter and John, they're laying their hands on these new believers who have not received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on them, and the Holy Spirit is doing wonderful things. Simon sees this, and he wants it for himself. He wants in on the action. He wants to use the stage of ministry to make his name great. So Simon asked Peter and John for the power to give the Holy Spirit by, laying, by the laying on of hands. And this would be his greatest magic trick of all time. Simon is desperate for people to notice him. He's hungry for people to think highly of him. And Simon is willing to pay to make a name for himself. Of course, Peter reads right through his intentions. This is what Peter says. May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. My wife, her name is Christy, and we bought a printer about a month ago. We, we had an old printer. We'd moved it from Minnesota. It was probably eight years old. So we went and we bought this printer. 
And I set it up all by myself. I didn't have to call in the geek squad. I didn't have to call some of my UCI students to help me. I did it all myself. And I wanted my wife to acknowledge my greatness in all of this. And so I was bragging to my wife just how much I had done. I had set up my, my nine-year-old computer. I figured out how to set it up to this brand new printer. I have a new computer. I figured out how to do that. And I was able to hook my iPhone up to this printer and my wife's older iPhone to the printer. And on top of that, I was able to have a picture of my daughters at Disneyland printed out in full color just for my wife from her phone. So this printer can do all kinds of things. It's super fast, and it can print double-sided. So double-sided where you don't, have to, you don't have to like take it out after it prints and then flip it over and then put it back in. It'll do it for itself. I didn't even know that was possible for a home printer. And I set it up. So I was wanting my wife to acknowledge my greatness, but she, she had her own idea. So she, instead of complimenting me, decided to tell me how great she was. And so she started and mentioned that it was actually her idea to buy a new printer. And in fact, she was the one who picked the printer out, and she got it on sale. And on top of all of that, she risked her life to go to Costco on a Saturday to buy it. Wasn't she the great one in the family? And what's funny is we both love this printer, but we never gave one thought to Hewlett-Packard. We never gave one thought to the technicians, the engineers, the designers who, who did all of the work, who created this. We just thought about ourselves. And you know, we make everything about ourselves. We don't give God credit for the skills that we have learned. We don't give God credit for the abilities that we have. We don't give God credit for the parents who have helped us in life. We don't give God credit for the teachers that we have. We don't give God credit for his creation and all that it is. We don't give God credit. We just often think of ourselves. And we want to brag about setting up a printer. In C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian, which is from the Chronicles of Narnia series, Aslan, who is the Christ figure, is talking to the mouse. But what do you want with a tail? Asked Aslan. Sir, said the mouse. I can eat and sleep and die for my king without one. But a tail is the honor and glory of a mouse. I have sometimes wondered, friend, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. The great irony here in Acts chapter 8 is that Simon was trying to make a name for himself by using the gospel when he could have had an even greater name because of the gospel. Only God can give us a name that is truly great. Have you ever heard of the city called Malchunk, Pennsylvania? It's a strange name, Mal, two words, Malchunk, Pennsylvania. Probably not. This city has not been called Malchunk since 1953. Uh, since 1953, the town has been called Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. It's a northeastern town, and it was named after the same Jim Thorpe who is considered by many to be the greatest modern athlete. Uh, Jim Thorpe, who was the gold medal winner in the Olympics for the 1912 pentathlon. He was the 1912 gold winner, gold winner in the Olympics for the decathlon. He was a professional baseball player and a Hall of Fame football player. 
after Jim Thorpe had died, his widow was offering the great name of Jim Thorpe to any town that wanted to pay for it. And Malchunk, Pennsylvania at one time had been a thriving town in northeastern Pennsylvania. It was a railroad town, and during the turn of the century, around, the around 1900, it had more millionaires per capita than any city in the U.S. But as the railroad industry began to decline, so did its name, or at least its name recognition. And so Malchunk was willing to pay thousands of dollars to have a great name to regain a great name again. There has been a loss of glory for us. And this is the story of Christianity, that we were made to live forever. We were made to not get sick, to not physically get weak, to not deteriorate. We were made to not have to compete with one another. We were made to, to not have to wonder where we stand in our position before others and before God. We were made to know of our acceptance before the God who created us. We were made to not struggle and to not suffer and to not deal with pain. We were made for glory. And yet all of that was lost in the fall. All of that was gone. Adam and Eve wanted their own glory. They wanted their own significance. And they chose their glory over the glory of God. And now because of their choice, we continue to choose our glory over God's glory. And yet we long for what we were made. We were made for glory. And now we're desperate to recover the glory that we were made for. How much are you willing to pay for a great name? How much are you willing to give up to make a name for yourself? Are you willing to work long, crazy hours? Are you willing to possibly injure your marriage? Are you willing to possibly weaken your character to make a name for yourself? How much stress are you willing to put up with as you pursue a great name for yourself? But in the gospel, there is a quenching of our thirst for this great name. There is a new name that we can have. There is a greater name that we can have. And the name that we can have that is great is a name that we don't have to pay for. It is free. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the people of God at the church in Philadelphia. There in Revelation 3, this is what Jesus says. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So he's saying, I will make the Christian a pillar. I will make him a regular presence in my presence. Then he goes on to say, Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. And I will write on him the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And I will write on him my own new name. For those who trust in Jesus, you have a new name. Your first name is the name of God. Your middle name is the name, the New Jerusalem. And your last name is the new name of Jesus that we don't even know what it will be, but that will be your name. Some 60 years after Malchunk bought a new name, very few visitors come to visit this northeastern town that has the Jim Thorpe Memorial in the center of it. Fewer and fewer dollars come in each passing year because of the name of Jim Thorpe. In fact, fewer and fewer people even know who Jim Thorpe ever was. 
the glory of his name is now fading. A disappointed and disenchanted city of Jim Thorpe councilman said very crassly, all we saw were dollar signs, and all we got was a dead Indian. But there is a name available to all who call Jesus Lord. Not the name of a dead man, but the name of a resurrected God, the Son of God, Jesus. The one who was and who is and who will be forever. Not the name of just a great athlete, but the name of the one who gives life and legs to every person who has ever lived. The name of one who has not just defeated teams, but the name of one who has defeated sin and death. It's the name of the one who has bought for us a new name. A name that will never fade away. It's a name that is yours and you can't lose it because it was never yours to gain in the first place. It's a name that only God himself can give you. And it's his name for those who trust in his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we long for glory. We were made for glory. And we lost. We lost everything. And yet, Lord, you are offering us a significance, a glory that we cannot earn, that we do not merit, that we certainly do not deserve. And yet you want to give us this glory and it's, and it's your name. It's knowing you. Lord, thank you for your love. Lord, it doesn't make sense to us. I guess that's why it's grace. Lord, thank you for, for your son Jesus. Lord, who was willing to give up everything for us. Lord, would you give us eyes to see Jesus for who he is. And Lord, would you help us to not compete, Lord, with your glory? Lord, would we be satisfied in the glory that you have given to us? We thank you. We praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.